This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you're going to try CBD products for the very first time, please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. This is more geared towards your athlete, but for your everyday blue-collar worker or anyone who has aches and pains, this is great for you. Very low THC, less than 1%. You will not get high. You do not ingest this. You do not smoke this. This is strictly roll-ons, rub-ons, lotions you put on top of your skin that absorbs into your muscles and makes you feel great. So please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. If you're into nerd culture or like collectibles, sign memorabilia or sports memorabilia, visit firstrow.ca. This is First Row Collectibles, a Canadian company based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. If you use promo code THEPODCAST20, you receive 20% off. Best thing about this website, if you are American, everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so it's a little bit cheaper for you guys down there. And the best, the second best thing is they update daily, so you have no excuse but to visit them every day and see what they have there. So please visit firstrow.ca. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store, itpublic.com, or scroll down on today's device you're listening to on and click on that link. It takes you right to the merchandise store. Easy. It takes you two seconds. Buy something nice. I got literally everything from T-shirts to hoodies to... COVID masks to phone cases to mugs, anything you need or want is there. But if you do not want to support me or my sponsors monetarily, the most easiest thing you could do, the best thing you could do, the thing that's free, the thing that takes you one second, rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms, but most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has written such books as Fun Camp, Bible Adventures, and The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, the founding editor of Boss Fight Books, Gabe Durham. Hey, Steve. What's going on, my friend? How are you this fine evening? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, about an hour ago, I heard this weird beeping sound in my kitchen. Okay. And like at first I had to like identify, is this in my kitchen? Is this outside? So I was like looking all around. Right. And then I realized that... I had like thrown out a smoke alarm a couple days oh. ago that I thought was just completely dead. Right. And instead it had just like come alive. And so I had to like s- sort through the trash to like pick the smoke alarm out of there. Nice. But then like I couldn't get it to turn off oh no matter God. what I did. Did you take so out the I battery? Just kept I think that I should have worked harder on on taking out the battery. Okay, okay. but instead it was so loud that yeah. I was like, "I'm just gonna keep like wrapping this in things, and sure. maybe like that's gonna like muffle the sound enough." Oh my god! And it didn't do it quite enough. So now I've got this like alarm in my freezer. <laughs> like I shut it away in my freezer, and it stopped beeping oh. a few minutes after that. So. <laughs> There you so go. I solved the problem in maybe like the dumbest way. Well, but another thing too, next time you could submerge it in water. Maybe that'll do it. Okay. Yep. yep. Right. But that makes th- a lot of sense. By you telling the story, uh, again, I'm a little older person 
than most people that listen to podcasts nowadays. But back in the day, obviously, everyone knows there's a show called Friends. It's on Netflix, right? And there's an episode where Phoebe, one of the main six characters, happens the same thing. But she actually took out the battery and the thing was still beeping. So it was one of these mystery things and it was just a whole episode uh, and she was going crazy and then she couldn't sleep. She was bashing everybody. They just wouldn't shut the fuck up. This has got to be based in reality. Like one of the writers (laughs) had the exact thing happen. Like put it in the show. I think though this is just like one of the many like 2020 work from home. You know, like back in the old days, I got to go to like a co-working space every day and like, (laughs) you know, kind of like put on my like professional or uh, to myself and just be like in this kind of productive environment. But now, you know, I'm, I'm wandering around my kitchen putting fire alarms in freezers. Well, when you're not doing that, you are the <laughs> editor at Boss Fight Books. So, okay. That's right. You are the big boss. You are the honcho. You are the man responsible for all the great guests I've had and for upcoming guests I'm about to have as well. Now, why did you start Boss Fight Books? was kind of like this transitional time in my life already where I was, so I, um, after not too long after college, I went to grad school for creative writing and I did that for three years. And for a while I was really like trying to kind of get on the track of, um, being like a college professor. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to like work really hard on getting like Lots of little like publications here and there, um, sure. you know, get a book out and just was really like hustling toward that. But it was kind of like also a time where like the bottom was falling out on a lot of that stuff. Mm. And most colleges were like kind of ripping out a lot of their full time spots and okay. bringing in um, part time adjunct jobs, which um, for, for listeners not in the um, in the academic world, those pay shit. I mean, you would be really. <laughs> surprised at just how bad the hourly turns out when you do the math of like, well, I went there and then I did taught the class, but then I was grading and I was grading essays and essays take a really long time, a lot of concentration. So, um, so I was, so I was kind of burning out. I was getting really skeptical of like, Oh, this might not, this, this might kind of be a trap. You know, (laughs) I might have to do this for a lot of years and then maybe it won't get me, um, where I need to go. And, And so, I, um, my, my partner at the time and I moved, um, back from, uh, the, the East coast where we'd been living, um, to, uh, Los Angeles, which is, um, the LA area, uh, was my home, um, for, for a long time. I went to high school out here in college. And so was just kind of like looking for the next thing. And, um, I've been writing a long time and had, done some kind of um some small like editing gigs like for literary magazines and that kind of thing and then i was just reading widely like kind of i was going to the library a lot (laughs) just checking out a lot of stuff and that's when i noticed that like the the thread that i was seeing in books about video games which were just like an interest you know i'd grown up playing video games and Mm. uh was i was excited to learn more was it was like at the time, they were all like kind of industry history. Like, okay. here's the history of all of video games, or here's the history of Nintendo. Right. And like, they were cool books. Um, but that's such like a one way of uh, of getting at this topic. And it yeah. seems like just when they're like getting going, like the the example I I was went to is like, oh cool, we're gonna learn about Super Mario three. I love Super Mario three, and then it's like two pages. Like, <laughs> oh man, like I, <laughs> I I could just read a whole book about this, right? And I was um, already aware of the the thirty three and a third uh, series, which is these these cool little books about uh, albums. Okay. And that, and when one of the things I admired about that series was like they did really different things from book to book. So some of them were really analytical. Sometimes the author would write about like their own experience, like mm. growing up with the album. Sure. Sometimes they would interview all the people in the band, and okay. it would be like this really journalistic thing. And I just loved that like that hybrid approach. I love the idea that like you could there's like a series of books that's like it's like where it'd be all nonfiction, but you never know exactly what you're getting into, other right. than like the theme is this game. Mm. And so I was when I looked for something like that about video games, I was kind of surprised to see that like that didn't exist. Mm. And then that really got me going of like, Oh, I could do this. Like I could be 
the guy that runs that thing. Um, and so just started developing it from there and, um, got authors on board, did our first Kickstarter and that was Mm -hmm. successful. And then, uh, yeah, then it was a company. Yeah. Like they say, the rest is history, right? So do you see yourself, because you, all you talk about is literally each book is based on one video game. That's how you guys do it. That's how it goes. Do you see yourself expanding in any other way or branching off maybe to like a sub-company and have different genres or whatnot? Yeah, I have thought a lot about it. Um, and, and sometimes kind of just for my own, like a way to kind of keep the company interesting um, in the sense of like you, you're trying to keep not repeating ourselves. Mm. And also, it's like, I do love the idea of just like continuing to build out this series. And so I've been really, um, and, and just like kind of the limitation of time itself. And it's right. like, you can only do like so many projects per year. So for now, we've just been really focused on developing new titles and, and getting more books out and building out the series. But I'm always in the back of my head, like kind of threatening to like, what's what's the next series? Or what's the like... Kind of maybe like modest imprint that could just put out a book that right. someone wrote that I think is really cool and kind of figure out. But I will say that like a lot of the successes that we've had have been from uh, the fact that it's part of a series and mm. kind of building a certain momentum of every time a new book comes out, people are like, oh, there's a bunch of, the, you know, there's 26 of these. Right. So like, what other games have they done? And that kind of keeps the books alive in a way that yeah. I, I would find, like, I know how to do that now in a way that I think I would find very challenging if it was just like, here's this novel, and mm. I promise it's good. Like, I could, you know, <laughs> do a push for that for a while, but then it's like, okay, you know, I, I imagine people would be like, okay, well, what else you got? You know, that came out last year. Whereas, like, our, the benefit of the way that we do things is like, you know, people still show up and buy our very first book. Um, right. on earthbound and that came out beginning of 2014 wow you see that that's crazy so again i i gotta know then from the start was it a success were, were these guys struggling were you like oh man why did i get myself into this or was it a hit right from the beginning <laughs> um it's kind of like maybe somewhere in between like in the sense of like it was a success in that we did the kickstarter and we set a modest goal okay. and then we really beat the modest goal but also pretty quickly, I was like, oh, this takes more time than I thought it would. And I kind of wondered in the early days, like, is this going to be like a side gig on top of like whatever my real job is? Or does this kind of need to be my real job? Uh-huh. And I and I figure out pretty quickly it kind of does need to be my real job, at least to do it the way that I want to do it. Sure. Um, and to yeah, just kind of like be hardcore and ambitious and try to do right by all the books. And so it was kind of it was, it was kind of that thing of like great we've got like readers people are interested but we don't have many books yet and so like mm. you know we got that like initial burst of like some Kickstarter money but then like okay we've only got one book or we've only got two books sure. and so it was pretty dicey at times like with that those kind of early books because. We had this great thing that we wanted to build up, but it felt like the clock was ticking mm. to really um, deliver uh, and, and to and to get enough interest that I could, you know, keep um, at least kind of sustaining myself uh, by running the press. And so I, I think um, one of the, one of the kind of like turning points in that was. Um, our, our biggest hit was our, our 11th book, uh, which is Spelunky by Derek Yu. Okay, yeah. And Derek Yu is the creator of the game Spelunky. And that, it was actually like a different book for us in the sense that like we'd never done like an autograph, autobiographical book in that way before. Right. But it became – like, but Derek, um, for one thing, he's so respected. His game is so respected. And now mm-hmm. um, yep. just a few weeks ago, he came out with uh, Spelunky 2, yep. the, the sequel, which is uh, a really amazing game. And so, but, but then he really did this beautiful job of like clear-headedly writing about his process and like, it's, it's about his game, but it's also about like the creative process in general. And it became just kind of like, it inspired a lot of like young game designers or people Mm. interested in that, um, as, as kind of just one of the Bibles. It's like, if you, if you're an up and coming like indie game dev, like, Hey, why don't you read this book? Um, (laughs) 
and I, you know, and, and so I'm really grateful uh, to Derek for for doing the book um, because you know I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if maybe we would have had to stop at a certain point uh, if we hadn't like had that one that was like kind of paying for um, some of the other books that you know are just naturally like not going to be as big of a hit you know um my first book uh for the series you know so so i've just come out with this majora's mass book that mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll talk about but, but my first book for the series was about um these weird bible games the, yeah, this, the unlicensed I bible wanted to games touch that on came this. out for the nintendo yeah this is i've never heard <laughs> right? of this i was like is, is this something made up then i googled it, i'm like what the hell there's bible <laughs> games I know, man. It's and it's, it's such a fun story okay. and so weird uh, right. that like I was so driven to write it. But you know, uh, um, <laughs> that's maybe a, that's a more challenging sell, uh, at least at the outset, than like a game that has a real fandom behind it. Right? You kind of know what to do with like Final Fantasy fans, whereas like there aren't really Bible Adventures fans. So, um, so that's just to say. Uh, yeah, you know, there's been plenty of um, of ups and downs, and I've been really, um, I'm, I'm really grateful that readers showed up. You know, just just this year, like dear, like early COVID was when we did our last Kickstarter campaign uh, okay. um, for, uh, for for five books, and it wound up being a, like our, our best campaign yet. And you know, it was, it was like nice. it was it was exciting, but it was such a relief too. So it's like okay. Okay, good. That means I get to keep my job for a while longer. <laughs> That's well. For people who don't know, you come out in like a season, so you drop a few books at a time. That's right. It's not like one that's here, right. one there, right? So for people who don't know, that's yeah. how Gabe does it. So now, what I want to know is, I, I I believe one of the authors touched on this too. I can't again. Everything is mumble jumbled. I'm almost at 200 episodes, so they all morph into one big episode oh, in my brain. So. I think one of them talked about this, but how do you decide as the editor who comes, what author comes in, what game they choose? Have you told people, no, I don't want that game? Have you suggested authors to write a certain game? Like, how, how does that process happen? It, it tends to happen really differently from book to book. Okay. Um, like that first set um, of, of books, the first five books was me reaching out to people who I thought would uh, do a good job. And, but, but from there, and, and, um, and I and I still do that from time to time. But from there, you know, a lot of the people that we get is from an open reading period mm. where we just ask people for proposals for okay. like what's what what game would you like to write about? How would you approach it? Oh, okay. And from there, we kind of try to just pick the kind of a combination of like the strongest ones, but also like what would be doing something that we haven't done before and also like what's yes. you know kind of personally exciting to us about like what's a what's a book that i'd really just love to work on mm-hmm. um and so obviously there's like so much subjectivity in that and like the, and, and every time we get some really good ones and then we have to make a bunch of hard calls about mm. you know uh, which ones we're going to move forward with and and being a small company it's like oh man <laughs> i wish you could just like take more um but yeah, so a lot come from that. Um, but then this other thing that happens every Kickstarter campaign is that we have this voting period among our Kickstarter backers about Ooh. like, okay, what's a what's a game that you would like to read a book about? And right. so it kind of um, like a bonus along with like you know whatever books you get with your subscription is like you, you're kind of influencing the future of Boss Fight books, and so. Right. Uh, we've done that every season, and so that's how, like, so it, uh, Chrono Trigger, and then Shadow of the Colossus, uh, Final Fantasy VI, mm. uh, Red Dead Redemption, um, and then this most recent uh, Kickstarter campaign, uh, the, the, they chose uh, Xenogears. Okay. So. Wow, that's um, cool. Yeah, which has been really cool. I mean, like, all of those choices are so solid that... Uh, it's nice to kind of have a combination of like following our own enthusiasms, but then also relying on the enthusiasm of our reader base to be like, well, also like, what do you guys want to read? Yeah. No, okay. Okay. Well, before we get to Majora's Mask, cause I'm sure that's what a lot of people want to talk about. Cause a lot of Zelda fans out there. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing a part two to a book? Say someone wants to come along and give you such a good proposal. Like, look, here's my take wow. on, say, Super Mario 3, since that's such a popular book. And I'm going to have Elisa on soon, too. So shout out to her and a little plug there. 
like if someone came to you and look here and you read it and you're like, holy shit, this is just as good as the original. Maybe I should do this. Would you consider it? <laughs> oh man. I, that would have to be such particular circumstances. I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I do think like somebody could do a great, you know, Super Mario three or, or one of these books that just takes a totally different angle. Um, I would be less inclined to do it, I think, because okay. it's like we already hit that one. You know? Right, like, of course. Uh, so, like, I might be a little more burnt out, burnt out on the subject um, personally. Uh, and also, like, the other side of it is like, oh, there's so many good games that we That's make for the good thing, books. Right? Uh, so just do a do-over um, might might be weird, but also like, I can totally see it, and I think that's one thing that I like about running the press is that like the take that we wind up doing for each book is absolutely not like the authoritative one take mm. that somebody should do, you know? And I, and I think a lot about like our, our upcoming final fantasy six book, which focuses more than any other that we've done so far on music and mm. the score to the game. Okay. And there's so much cool stuff about final fantasy six. I mean, you could really spend most of the time talking about like characters and plot, but to instead, you know, dig in further and not just the game, but like we're we're going hard on just the soundtrack. Um, I don't know. It's, that's fun to me. And, they, and, and again, it like keeps it interesting. And it, like if one of the kind of goals of the series is to look at video games from as many angles as possible, mm-hmm. then like that just becomes like one of the angles. And so yeah. who better to do that for than uh, like Uematsu, the the longtime Final Fantasy composer. Oh, wow. Fantastic. All right. So how befitting is this, though, that we're recording on the 20th anniversary of Majora's Mask? Pretty much, right? So as of this recording, this will air next week, so it'll be a week off. So if people are listening, don't DM us or say, oh, no, it's not this week. You'll pass, whatever. It's as of this recording. So, okay. First off, I got to say, I never played a game. I missed out. I'm Mm. I missed out on N64 and GameCube. All those games I never played. Now with I, I own a Switch, so luckily I'm going back. I'm starting with all the remakes. Like I'm, I, I'm loving. I, I want to talk this with Elise because obviously it's going to be about Super Mario. But I'll touch a bit with you. Super Mario 64. I love it, but I want to throw it up against the wall because the controls and the camera <laughs> fucking suck shit. I, I I don't know how people used to think this was a perfect game back in the day. It blows my mind. I, I can't imagine it. Like looking at that game with new eyes. Today. Right. Well, that's me. <laughs> It was the first like fully 3D game I think maybe that I'd ever played. Oh, so it's just you know, yeah, it's nostalgic, so right? Yeah. Well, and uh, that's why I don't think I'll ever go back and play this game because just the way you described it alone with how it resets and this and that, I'd have so much anxiety and I would not be able to play a game like this in today's standards. Obviously, it's an anxious game. I will say though that like the, uh, a lot of the quality of life stuff that they did in the um, 3DS. Uh, remake okay. really helps. Oh, I see. So, Maybe I should switch yeah. that one out then if I do decide to plunge. Okay, yeah. well, first off, I love the way how you started off the book with how you wanted the haunted cartridge and all this because I never knew, again, I wasn't into this part. I was more uh, starting with the PlayStation and then I left Nintendo behind and I didn't look back, right? And then, so... What is this whole haunted car- cartridge? Is this another one of those stories and one of those fables, like how there's so many things revolved around this game, or was it actually haunted? What do you think? <laughs> um, I, I think that like there's. I, I'm going to give you the really unfun answer, which is like, <laughs> no, just this like fun story that this guy came up with. Um, so he was a college student at the time, which right. I think is impressive, like for how young he was, how creative and how like fully realized um so so for your listeners who don't know this creepy pasta um online spooky story um from uh i think it was on like maybe 4chan was where it started and um so he released this uh kind of multimedia experiment that took scenes um and places and characters from the legend of zelda majora's mask and he like got into the code and kind of made things go haywire on purpose and Mm, made people say creepy things. And there's like, you walk around like while you're on fire and there's a part where you're like halfway upside down (laughs) and there's just like, (laughs) there's just so much weird stuff happening. And so he paired these really creepy images with this ghost story about 
I don't know what happened, but I showed up at this uh, this tag sale, mm. and they gave me this game, and it had the name Ben on it. And then it turned out that Ben is like the ghost of this boy who died. That's um, right. Yeah. So really cool story, yeah. and and to to read that along with like hear hear the guy um, later kind of talk about how he made it and what he was doing with it was was really fun, and that was for me. Um, actually like my window into this game for the first time. So I was a Nintendo 64 kid, but mm. this was really like Majora's Mask um, was was really like the sequel to the, the the most famous N64 Zelda game, which is Ocarina of Time. Yes. And I just, I played Ocarina, but I had uh, missed this one entirely. And so for me, mm. um, I, I didn't play the game at all until, uh, I didn't play Majora's Mask at all until, 2017 oh wow um when it piqued my interest so yeah um and so so there was this article online about all the spooky stuff around the game right uh written by this guy named victor victor uh luckerson and really really good writer and i was really excited about his article and that was kind of one of my experiences like reaching out to somebody and saying like hey do you think that there might be like a book in this because there's a lot of really compelling stuff here and he was interested. Um, ultimately, like the the website that he wrote for was like very had this very proprietary stance where they were like uh, they kind of like needed to give permission about you know can can we do a book based on this article and they yeah. just flatly said no no you can't they didn't ask for money they didn't any they were just like no absolutely not. So that fell through, but by that time I was really captivated with Jorah's Mask, and I'd already been reading a bunch of stuff. And then I borrowed a copy from my friend, oh my and God. I was just like down the road of like possibilities for like what if we do a book on this game? And it was kind of that kind of experience of kind of like I described, you know, starting the press is like, hmm. well, shit, like maybe I just need to do it. well the other thing i love about boss fight books too and it's the the first chapter or whatever how the author breaks it down the first introduction that's how you know the tone of the book where it's going to go if it's going to be self-orientated if it's going to be through the eyes of the developer if it's a story based in the book and yours is based on the three men responsible for this game and how they had one year literally to make this game and on, again, on the, on the uh, shadows of Ocarina of Time, like you said, one of the most reverend Zelda games of all time. So, for again, now it's like, okay, now I know where you're coming from. So, what what made you want to write the book this way instead of telling it? Because you said you just picked it up again recently, instead of playing, uh, telling the story of playing it for the first time. I think that like I quickly realized that there was something here that was kind of like scratching an itch that I've had for a long time, which is like, I'm really... So, so first of all, like I'm really interested in like um, how how things get made and okay. how like, like group projects like this one. And I love and I love the like one year constraint. And I love that they had to uh, they they were literally using so many assets from Ocarina of Time. So they mm-hmm. they would take you know uh, characters from that game and just do like a little palette swap on their clothes, mm-hmm. or um, sometimes like not even that. You know, you're just seeing things like ripped from that game they would take like parts of the music of ocarina of time and like remix it a little and you know, right. some some like small change up <laughs> and so it it's it's a game that has this like ear if you played the first game it has this eerie familiar feeling wow. when you're playing it for the first time okay. um but anyway like i i was so interested in in that story and once i started reading like all these interviews um so there's so so the two main directors of the game were um aonuma and koizumi um and they were both like guys moving up in the company and nintendo at the time and this was their first time at the helm of a game they both had worked on uh on uh, ocarina of time but that was a much bigger group and that was more directly overseen by uh by miyamoto of course and so but miyamoto was also moving up in the company and he was kind of taking on more of like a producer role and so like for the first time what these guys found is like oh he really is leaving us to like make the major decisions for this game Mm. and so um and and so like this was kind of like one of those um kind of like a crux like a a moment in history that really like changed the shape of nintendo because these guys made this game and they made it quickly and they made it cheaply and it did pretty well not nearly as well as ocarina but it still you know it did pretty well and then 
one of them, Aonuma, was handed the keys to Zelda, and the other one, Kozumi, was handed the keys to Mario. And so, like, whatever they did to impress the higher-ups, like, they really worked. And and so, okay, so you have this, like, kind of historical moment. Right. And you have, like, the this kind of, like, late-in-a-generation late game that takes an expansion pack to even be able to play. <laughs> and, like, it was, and it came out on the day that PS2 came out. And yeah. so, <laughs> which is, it's kind of, like, made it get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. But... It, and and I, so so I like all this like oh this is like kind of a interesting cultural moment, but then on top of that like this game had years of fandom, and with that fandom came so much um, fan theorizing and fan culture and fan art and just like the all that people had done around Majora's Mask like once it, so you know I, I started with what was like a, you know, basically like a multimedia work of like Majora's Mask fan art, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what Ben Drowned is. And like, that's one of the best known examples, but there's so much out there. And eventually that kind of like led me to like the wild theories that people come up with. And a couple of the ones that I um, explore the most in the book are, are the one that it, that says that like the whole game is like Link going through the five stages of grief. Right. Um, and like, it's, so you're supposed to read the whole game kind of like metaphorically mm-hmm. in that sense. And then the one that builds on that, which says, not only is he grieving, he's grieving himself so. because he's dead. And that's the secret that like unlocks the whole rest of the game is that Link is dead, right. uh, the entire time, uh, that you're playing through the game. Um, which is all like really interesting. Um, but also like to me, like obviously false. <laughs> and so like. So, so I guess like I was really excited to do a book where, because of who these guys are, because yeah. these are like some of the most important names in all of Nintendo dumb. Yep. Like we've got all this interview material, and so we know so much about the game. We know so much about their experience. We know so much about their intentions, and I could piece that together to tell the story. And then the other hand, we've got so much like fan like expectation and storytelling and art. And people like putting their own read on the game, and so like I, I, I think that was like what really got me going early on was like it would be so fun to just juxtapose this this game and its history with all of the um, so, so kind of like the inside story mm. with like the outside story and all the all the storytelling that has gone on around it. No, and for someone um, so that's like, what I tried to do, and for someone like me who fell off of Nintendo. Now, I obviously do all these stories are out there, but I'm not going to go search them now because obviously I know Miyamoto is the fucking god of Nintendo. Everyone knows that, right? And it's like yeah. to hear these beginning and origin stories of these three men, it's like, holy shit, yeah, this is pretty cool. So, if, like, you hook, line, and sinker for someone like me who didn't even play this game. But again, I am a Zelda fan. My most, my most, Actually, my favorite one is A Link to the Past on the SNES. Like most people who are my age group, obviously. So, to me, yeah. and then I've never, I don't think I've played a full Zelda from start to finish since that one. Okay. How about that? But breath of the wild is right there waiting for you. And you know what? It's on cue. I have it. I have a copy of it, but I'm going through because the whole Mario sucked me in because of them. So now I'm going through all the Mario (laughs) games being, being frustrated by Mario 64. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I take a break and I play Mario 35 as well. So, Oh, good. <laughs> so yeah so like i was saying yeah hook hook line and sinker and you brought it up too. all these these fan theory things that was pretty cool to hear in the book too or to read in the book and you even go into detail as like the manual and uh, again these kids don't know nowadays that yes games used to come with manuals with art with beautiful stories in them and even stories of themselves that had nothing to do with the actual games yeah i love that i i love the it, and and that's like in that chapter in particularly, like I love the contrast between people who are so clearly motivated by like trying to tell a cool story in a video game and the people who like <laughs> want it to be cool action with right? like just some good scenery. And uh, like the, the, the Kozumi's like origin story and how he got involved in Zelda originally was that they were working on first they were working on a link to the past and they're like, Can you do the manual? 
And he wrote this long history, uh, like the history of Hyrule. And it starts with like the beginning of time and like the gods of that kingdom. That's right. (laughs) And I just imagine him handing that in. They're like, oh, wow, this is kind of longer than we thought. You really, (laughs) you really had fun with it. And then, but, but they were impressed enough that then they handed him uh, Link's Awakening, like earlier in the development process of that game. And they had so much game. But they didn't have the story yet. It's just Link going around an island, mm. you know, going going through, you know, getting his power ups, um, sure. killing the monsters, until Kozumi came in. He's like, okay, what if it's this dream? And he, you know, there's this <laughs> there's this fish that he has to wake up, and um, so it really like he came in. He came to like to prominence at Nintendo by taking a series that wasn't that in the story and being yeah. like, okay, now it's about story. <laughs> no, exactly. And like I said, hook, line and sinker for me too. And I, well, and the other thing I loved was all the little tidbits and facts, obviously sprinkled out through all boss fight books. That's the main theme too, with all boss fight books. And I, speaking of Mario, I did not know that the horse was supposed to be in Mario 64 and he couldn't make it work. So then they used it in Zelda. How crazy, how, how, how crazy is that to think of that? There could have been a horse character in the Mario world if it actually worked. Yes. Yeah. I can't even totally picture it. <laughs> right? It's like, well, and also, like, if he's going to ride anything, he's got to ride Yoshi, right? Like, wouldn't it be so weird if, like, <laughs> they, they just introduce a new horse, but then not Yoshi? Um, well, it could have been, I guess, how Luigi is to Mario. Maybe it could have been, like, Yoshi's other brother or something, but it was just a horse. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, what is your favorite Zelda? Is it Majora's Mask or is it Ocarina? Uh, it's it's Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I love Breath of the Wild. I think it's amazing. It's just one of the best video games I've ever played. So okay. it's so, like, so I that, hear. The, the exploration in that game and going around from shrine to shrine and um, solving puzzles and getting stronger, it's like, it's the most pleasurable thing. But, but, but beyond that, I would say uh, probably my second favorite is uh, Link to the Past. Because um, like really? you, I, I played a ton of that yeah. growing up, and that's just like that just really hit that like age and cultural sweet spot for me. It's also just like such a well made game. It is, isn't um, it? And especially yeah. back then, I didn't find it hard. Like most <clears> of those type of games back on the Super Nintendo days, where there was literally like not the detailed maps that there was, not where missions tell you where to go. You literally got to think and explore and do stuff. I didn't find it as hard compared to like the original Zelda games where mm. you sort of get lost halfway through and you just give up, right? I definitely got stuck, to be honest. Did you? Okay. <laughs> but but I loved thinking about it and like going around the world being like, oh, maybe if I try this. But... Right. Well, I didn't get everything as a child, obviously, but I got enough to where I could clear the game. Like, And then to figure out, obviously, later on, when uh, when it's available now on the e-stores and stuff like that, and actually going through the manuals and the cheats and seeing, yeah. oh, there's a heart here. Oh, I could have done this. It's like, what the fuck? Uh, how much do you miss out yeah. back then? Because you didn't have the internet. <laughs> Another thing kids take I, for granted. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so... Di- like, not having any way of, of learning a thing you so desperately want to know. Right. It's, it's just Ooh. like an experience. Yeah, kids won't have. It's <laughs> oh, my um, God. <laughs> But it was it was such a deep frustration, but it was also such a deep like yearning <laughs> that I'm that I'm nostalgic for it when I think about it. But yeah, I think like so so obviously like you know if those are my two favorites, then like why did I write about Majora's Mask? And I think yeah. it's really just because like I think it's the best story. You know, oh. I think it really is like it's the best story. It's the most complex. Um, it's got the best characterization. Mm. It's like all the things that it does really well are, um, you know. So so in the book, I call both. Uh, Koizumi and Aonuma uh, mm. story guys right. and it's like the, it's like the best story it's the best Zelda game that like story guys could ever make and, and I think it's and it's so unique too I mean that's so mechanically unique the the reliving of the same three days over and over again um, the time travel mechanic and um, and, and the, the the emphasis on clock town and, and helping people and having to like learn what somebody's schedule is mm. throughout the course of the three days and like know where they'll be. Um, Again, I'm getting anxiety now. My palms are getting sweaty. I can't play a game like that, man. <laughs> You're right to feel anxious. It's an anxiety inducing <laughs> game. Like it's like, it's like, yeah. It's like the other reason to write about it is like, it's the most fun Zelda game to talk about. Mm. And it's, 
I don't think it's probably near the top of the list of the ones that are the most fun to just be in the moment playing. (laughs) Well, speaking of the internet too, uh, you touched on it in one of your chapters was the marketing around Majora's Mask. And okay, I I don't know if it was because again, listeners know I I like to dabble a little bit in cannabis, and being here in Canada, it's legal and all. So when when I'm outside smoking, oh, so there you go. So (laughs) when I'm outside reading my boss fight books, I'm I'm usually uh, partaking in some cannabis. So I don't know if it just went way over my head or if I just dozed off or something. But what's the science organization known as? What is J R A M O A or something? So it's um, a. so that's like just the word Majora um, jumbo, right? But it's it's <laughs> like basically their web marketing campaign is so fun to go look back on, and okay. and for um, anybody who does read my book, I would say um, once you finish it, go ahead and go to the notes section at mm. the end, and there's links to all of these like very yes. charmingly web 1.0 right. um, kind of viral. Uh, attempted a viral marketing campaign. I don't think that this stuff took off, but they, it's not because they didn't try. So they made several websites um, that were playing out this um, kind of, I mean, you, you know, like we talk about like Ben Drown, it kind of was its own like creepypasta, you know, before the game even came out, which is like the idea is that so, so in the game Majora's Mask, um, you're playing the same three days over and over again. And at the end of the three days, a moon comes, the, the moon, a moon a comes moon. and hits the earth <laughs> right. and everybody dies. It's yeah. the apocalypse. And so in the plot of these internet sites is the real moon is coming to hit the, the real world. And scientists are trying to figure out like what can be done to, to save us. Mm. And they're doing it over the course of like in real time, um, they're like releasing new posts every day of like, well, we think we have, you know, a new answer. Stay tuned. Um, and there's pictures and they did like a like uh, almost like proto podcast. Um, of course, nobody used those words back then. But um, so this was a multimedia experience as well. And so over time, they they figure out the scientists at this mm. at these um, labs, they figure out that there is going to be a way to save the world. And it's going to be if we find uh, somebody called the one mm-hmm. uh, who's the chosen one who's go if they can if they can play the video game Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask on a Nintendo 64 in time if they can beat the game in time that will stop the moon from right. hitting the earth see and um, that's and, where I got uh, lost because I'm like is this for real am, am I is this like <laughs> did people someone actually try and do this like and that's where I was like okay I don't know what's going on here and I even read I think I tried to go back and read I was like I, I just don't get oh, it oh well maybe I didn't make it clear enough that no I'm sure you did it's just is, me this is just like <laughs> like some some it, it reads like some young creative guys having a lot of fun with marketing right and so so they do this on the main pages but then they build out these like sub web pages that are there, there's like a doomsday prepper website exactly um, about, <laughs> it's like loopy guy uh and uh this other like kind of ju- they read as like a judgmental like christian couple who's um you know telling the world to repent right and like <laughs> just wild stuff uh so that to me was so fun to discover because i'd never seen anybody write about it like online or elsewhere before um it was just like this little clip of this um very old news article from the time and i was like oh i bet if i get on wayback machine i could find that and i did um so like yeah like like you say these little details little scoops like that and it's such a dumb scoop like it's it's not like it doesn't matter but to me it mattered so much because it was so fun and so ridiculous and like it could have it could it could have gone on untold if I hadn't um, gone digging. So. Oh no, that was, that was a good. Speaking of splunky, that was a good splunker there. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other like really fun stuff was just the material that I got. Like when I got to meet up with uh, Jason Loom, the um, yes, the, the, the translator head of, of English language yes. uh, localization. Mm-hmm. Um, about his experience working on the game, like that opened up a lot too, because it was such, he had so many fun anecdotes and mm. just the fact that I got to meet up with him in person. Right. He happened to live really close by to me. Oh, perfect. Um, was, yeah, it was perfect. And so, um, 
like yeah just just the stuff that came out of that conversation was was another thing too where i was just like <laughs> oh like this is so cool that like i get to be the one to like deliver all these fun little stories um no of course because people don't realize too that all these games are japanese based and then like the, the the term lost in translation like if you don't have someone who knows both languages it's gonna fall flat on its face and then for us or here it's gonna be like what the hell are they talking about right absolutely and, and that for me like that wound up kind of going nicely with like one of the things that i was exploring in the book which is like mm. we interpret when when we interpret any work of art we're going to do it with the lens that we have yes. from our own lives and our own culture yeah but all of these Japanese games, they are Japanese games and yep. they come from, um, from very different place, very different culture. And so to hear Jason speak to that was really interesting. He, you know, he talks about going around Kyoto and seeing things that like were clearly inspirations for, you know, not just Zelda, but you know, Mario and Star Fox and all the rest. Right. Um, and like, so that becomes this other layer of like, I can interpret a game, you know, with the lens that I have, mm. but I'm never going to be, you know, I, I'm never going to be like somebody who grew up in Japan, you know, in the eighties and nineties. Um, right. Exactly. It's just so, yeah. It's just going to be different. <laughs> no kidding. Another thing I want to touch on quickly too, is the high review scores this game got. It got like all like 90% and over on all, like, all those sites, all the, or magazines back then, however it was rated. Right. Now, but it was only like the twelfth best-selling N sixty four game of all time. Now, why do you think that happened? Was it because, like you said, the tailspin of that generation, or was it just that everyone was still in love with Ocarina and didn't even bother? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's like all those things. So I okay. think it's the um, I think it's it's later. It, all of the games on N sixty four that did better than Majora's Mask came out before it, right? Um, and I think that like. Yeah, like catching it in the right moment of a console generation like makes a big difference. Sure. But then also, you know that um, the uh, that the, the fact that you needed um, a, a RAM expansion for the game to even run mm. like was just another kind of like weird thing that was like a real obstacle for people. I I had that like I could have played it because. I happened to buy uh, Donkey Kong 64, and Donkey Kong 64 came with that expansion. Yes. Um, and so I had that, and then I had uh, Perfect Dark, which is another game that, like, it needed it to run a lot of the most important um, parts of the game. And so, the, but the third game, the only th these are the only three games that really needed it. And so, uh, Majora's Math being the third. And so I think, like, when that came out, um, there was reports of a bunch of stores who had copies of Majora's Mask, but they didn't have copies of the memory expansion. Mm. And so, and, and, and if they did, it sounded like it was kind of expensive. Like in some places, maybe going for like 40, 50 bucks, which is kind of way too much for, for what it was. Mm. Um, and so, and then you had like the PS2 coming out. And so, <laughs> you know, history is moving forward, but I think you're right that like people were already like, people were just very satisfied with Ocarina of Time. And it seemed like it wasn't time yet. It seemed right. it seemed kind of weird for the like. I can't imagine if uh, let's say like what was it like late 2017 that Breath of the Wild came out. And so like yeah. one year later, they're like, "Here's a whole nother Breath of the Wild style Zelda." <laughs> like right. be, it'd be a lot, you know, because there's just so much. There's so much content. There's so much to explore. Um, so I think it's a lot of that. But then also, Majora's Mask is a really weird game. And it's not as mainstream. It's not, right. you know, um, Ocarina of Time is very much your like traditional heroes, heroes quest, kind of Joseph Campbell, you know, going through all the steps of like getting stronger and beating the bad guy. It's mm -hmm. it's really similar in a lot of ways to um, to a link, uh, link to the past. Um, it's kind of like a link to the past sixty four in some ways, and like that's a formula that works. It's like it's it's great, but Majora's Mask is doing a very different thing. And a more ambitious thing, I would say, like in terms of story and character and mood, but maybe not quite like, you know, like maybe not quite as fun, like moment to moment to, to play. And, mm. and particularly in that first in 64 version, a lot of like frustrating, like kind of beat your head against the wall to figure out like, OK, what do I do next? Like, what does the game expect me to do? Right. Um, <laughs> so I put it I put it on kind of all that stuff, but 
you know, it sure has made back its money since, and you know, it's come out. It came out on on uh, the the Wii Store and the Wii yeah. U Store, and then the 3DS version came out, and that kind of introduced a whole a whole new um, like the, the next generation to the game who wouldn't have had a chance to to play it before. So, I my hope for it is that uh, that Switch that they find a way to to port it maybe like it and ocarina to switch in a satisfying way whether that's like what they just did with super mario 64 and sunshine and right. galaxy or you know maybe i don't know you know they, they just kind of like poured it through their web store or, or something but mm-hmm. i think like that's probably like what it's going to take to keep majora like in the cultural conversation for the next decade like you have to have a really good easy <laughs> way to play it true that's so true. Okay, I usually like to end the show with the weird story of the week, but before we get to that, who edits your book if you're the editor at Boss Fight Books? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So um, so much credit goes to Mike Williams. Um, so he's he's uh, our other editor. So he works on okay. all the books with me, all right. and he does a fantastic job. So, But, like, yeah, when, when I write a book, it kind of, like, falls on him even more to um, – <laughs> do to do my job and so he read it several times gave me a lot of great notes um helped me uh, build out the uh, the the notes section at the end all the citations mm-hmm. and um so I, i'm really uh, yeah the book uh, owes a, a huge debt to him um and uh, and then also elise nor um is oh. another uh, so, so who you're gonna have on the show soon yeah so not only did she write our mario 3 book but she's um she's done editing on several of our books nice. and um her, her, she's she's so smart and she's always got such a great take and then on top of that there was about um and, no I, and I list them in the book and i don't want to list them now in case i uh, forget somebody but there's about like eight other people who read the draft at various stages and gave me notes um and and it's really also just like totally indebted to them and some of them are bigger uh like zelda heads and more encyclopedic uh than i am which is so important. I, I even, you know, even then, uh, somebody told me about like a little mistake that I got at one point mm-hmm. that slipped, that slipped through the cracks. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but not for a lack of trying. Right. Uh, so you know, so showing showing the um, the book to some people who really know, know the game and series uh, was was hugely helpful. And now, last question. Do you have another book okay. in mind or a game that you want to do? You don't have to reveal the name, but is there something swirling in your head or that you're looking forward to? Oh, man. You know, honestly, like, all that's there is, like, this sort of, like, kind of completionist idea of, like, oh, what if I had, like, a trilogy of the oh. books that I wrote? And, and like, and, uh, and, and in my head, it's, like, it's like a, this stark black cover and, and then like, it's very minimalist and there's like, and that's like three images. And the first image is like a little cross for the Bible games. And the third, the second image is maybe like a little, uh, either like a moon or, or maybe like a little triforce. And then the third image is just like a big hazy question mark in my mind right now where it's like, uh, <laughs> which is, which is the long way of saying like, no, nah, I don't really have an idea. <laughs> perfect <laughs> alright on to the weird story of the week so we okay this is out of Amsterdam there uh, ever since the lockdown started this is going way back like the original lockdowns right that they were having problems because obviously what, what are the everyone knows the main two things Amsterdam's known for is the pot smoking and the red light district I would assume that's what people know about it so all yep. this was shut down right well, I think the Red Light District was semi-open, but like all those surrounding cafes and all the weed bars and stuff like that were all shut down. So no one had opportunities to go to the washroom and relieve themselves. So guess what the city of Amsterdam is having a problem with? Public urination. Yes. To the point where it smells so bad that people can't even walk the streets anymore. Can you believe yeah, that's this? Gross. So that in, a, in a million years, what do you think their solution was? To curve this, <laughs> uh, put on my city planner hat. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with diapers. <laughs> well, mandatory instead of masks, <laughs> people come out. Mandatory diapers. You have to come out with your diaper on the outside of your pants so people can uh, see. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, 
In an Amsterdam-y solution way, they invested nearly $60,000 and planted pot urinals. So little pot plants where people pee into them and like that they grow and then people, so it's, and it absorbs the, the smell and you're not pissing on all the architecture and stuff like that. Can you believe that? Are you saying pot is in like a, like a pot or are you saying pot is in like, it's a weed plant that you can pee on? Yes. Like a cannabis okay. plant in a so pot. You're going to, you're going to help. You're going to help the cannabis grow yes. with your bee. Yeah. Good weird story of the week, man. <laughs> well, I have to bring it up. Since it's legal in both, where, well, in your state and in my country, why not? Yeah. I still like our diapers plan. <laughs> Can you imagine? Though? It's okay. You don't have to wear a mask, but please wear your diaper when you come out. <laughs> Jeez. Hey, we might have something there. Maybe we start investing in some diaper stocks. It's going to explode. Absolutely. Well, before plug your shit, and we got a huge announcement to end off the show. What are you cur- currently playing? What are your, some of your? Okay, let's start with this first. What are your like current or whatever growing up? Some of your favorite games. Oh, okay, granted. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, my favorite RPG was Chrono Trigger. Um, I, you know, I was I was way into uh, the the Mario of course platformers all through all through the. In 64 generation, I skipped GameCube and then kept going through Wii um, right. and and the the Sonics at the same time. Um, okay. My, I would say like the what probably turns out to be the game that I've spent the most time playing of all mm. is uh, the Binding of Isaac, and it's really um, and its sequels. There's something so addictive for me okay, about that okay. game. Just just the the use of randomization and, and the fact that you like, you just kind of never know what the next run's going to be. It's, um, it's so sticky for me. So, and there's been also so many permutations and, um, so many, uh, add-ons that, um, yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever it says on steam is like embarrassingly a lot of hours. Um, and, and, uh, most, most recently, um, it's definitely mm-hmm. Spelunky too, though. Um, yeah, which has okay. just been like so fun and, and phenomenal. And, and and to even just like have a small part in like the history of that series is um, really exciting for me. And to you know like the, the Derek saying in some interview recently, he was like thinking about thinking about what a sequel would be while he was writing the book, and that was enough for me to be like, so the book helped you create the game. <laughs> well, good for me. Um, so those are some. Oh, uh, but yeah. Oh, I love um, I love Slay the Spire. Um, the, Never heard the of that. Kind of. It's a, like indie, like car deck building game okay. where you start over with a new deck every time, sure. uh, and uh, all the like, and, and the the puzzle game Baba is you, also really um, oh, kind of kind of blew my mind recently. So. What about like huge AAA games, like those sixty hour ones? Have you gotten into anything recently? Um, this year, I finally played uh, a lot of uh, Fallout New Vegas. Oh, okay. Um, you went back with that. Sure. So, yeah, go, going back. Um, and that was really fun. Um, I love Fallout. Uh, I also went back and replayed Dark Souls 2. Oh, um, speaking of anxiety. Oh. oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but really fun. Um, yeah, those are probably kind of the big the big budget ones this year. No, that's cool. That's cool. Well, where can people find you? Plug your shit. Where where okay, people great. can find a book, yeah, all that fun uh, stuff. So, um, Boss Fight Books, um, at Boss Fight Books on social and especially Twitter. Um, and BossFightBooks.com. You can get all of our books there. Um, we're also in the Kindle store and mostly most of our books are available um, on Amazon. And... So check us out. Um, uh, I am also at Gabe Durham on Twitter. Um, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's, yeah, that's the main stuff. That's good enough. And for myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast dap at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support, support? No, support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And like I said, we had a huge announcement and now I'm adding a third sponsor. Thank you, Gabe, for coming aboard and being a sponsor of the podcast now. So officially yes. today, Boss Fight Books is the newest sponsor of the podcast. So 
Follow the podcast. I will retweet everything that he does so you will not <laughs> miss out on anything. I will talk about everything and all the books each and every week. Just like I said, promote the, the website, promote anything up and coming that's new. So thank you and congratulations. Thank you so much, Steve. We're lucky to have your attention, man. <laughs> you are now part of the podcast family. I don't, yes. know if that's a, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll soon find out. All both. <laughs> die now <laughs> and please the most important thing rate subscribe review on all major platforms most specifically apple podcast stitcher tune in soundcloud spotify and iHeartRadio. all good my friend all good on that note he's gabe i'm steve this is the podcast peace <laughs>